The following podcast contains explicit language. A few days ago, I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. Apparently, this is how they retaliate when you report facts they don't like. This White House does not seem to value an independent press. There is a word for that line of thinking. The word is un-American. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Trumpcast is the show about the man who just removed Stephen Bannon, his chief strategist and the former chairman of Breitbart News, off the Principals Committee of the National Security Council. So you know how with kids you're supposed to applaud the little good things they do, like that they even thought about brushing their teeth rather than just yell at them for the bad things? So with Trump, maybe he deserves one cheer for taking Bannon off the NSC. Yay! Today, my guest is Lily Bayer to talk about Bannon and especially Sebastian Gorka, another Trump advisor with far-right connections. She's done deep reporting, especially on Gorka, a former Hungarian political leader who's now President Trump's chief counterterrorism advisor. She had a scoop this week in the foreword about Gorka's having backed a violent anti-Semitic militia. So yes, another Trumpite with ties to unsavory groups. Someday we'll find someone who's a vegan, with a policy of not harming gnats. But today is not that day. We're also going to find out what Gorka's ideology and background might mean for a comprehensive counterterrorism strategy in the U.S. To me, that's the real mystery here. Is the politician Gorka, whatever his ideology and ties, remotely qualified to lead counterterrorism strategy for the U.S.? Are his policies, if they exist at all, really the ones Trump voters were looking for when they elected to make America safe again? What are those policies? So before we jump into today's show, we got a hold of the president's weekly address a few days earlier than it usually goes up. And the president has a message he wants to get to the media. My fellow Americans, a certain reporter was very, very rude to my main man, Sean Spicer, last week during one of his incredibly accurate and breathtakingly flawless press conferences. Well, this is what I heard. I did not actually see it because I was re-watching my VHS recording of Fox and Friends from the morning of November 9th, such A tremendous episode, I have to tell you. In any case, it's so pathetic that these sad little reporters have to take out their insecurities on my bro-bro, Sean. And that is why I've come up with new rules for every reporter who attends White House pressers. These rules will become effective immediately. One... You are no longer allowed to make any gestures, facial expressions, or body movements that might upset Shawnee. These include smirking, sighing, shaking your head, April Ryan, sniffing loudly, speaking in Russian, or moving your eyes in a way that could be perceived as rolling them. Sit still and stare straight ahead. In fact, The less emotion, the better. For reference, please see every appearance ever 
by Melania. She nails it 100% of the time. Two. Everyone gets one question. Not two, not four, not one question with three follow-ups. One. And any reporter who repeats a question that's already been asked and expertly answered will be forced to sit in the back with the foreign reporters who talk funny and have body odor. Three. You are required to laugh at Sean when he makes a joke. If he makes a clever pun, you laugh even louder because puns are fantastic. If you are somebody that laughs silently, then you have to mouth the words, that was really funny, so that Sean Sean knows you are amused. That's all we ask. It's so simple. As of today, these rules will be posted in 28-point font on the front of S-Dog's podium. We'll also tape a duplicate list to the back of Jim Acosta's head for the reporters who can't see around his fat, stupid CNN melon skull. As you know, I have great respect for the press. Great respect. I think, I think we all know that. I've always said that. And I'm hoping these rules will help them not be so dumb and wrong all the time. Thank you so much. I've got to head over to an executive order signing with Mike Pence. Today's sketch was written by Kate James and performed by John D. Domenico, our voice of Donald Trump. Joining me on Skype from Budapest is Lily Bayer. Lily is a journalist in Central Europe who writes for Politico, The Forward, and The Budapest Beacon. Welcome, Lily. Thanks for having me. Thanks very much for calling in from Budapest. Um, As I'm sure you know, Hungarian in the U.S. is often a byword for very complicated. But that should not defeat our efforts to understand the Trump administration. And today we rise to the challenge by learning about Hungarian history, Hungarian ideology, and how those things might influence the Trump administration, and especially its counterterrorism efforts. All these questions come together about Hungary in the person of Sebastian Lukas Gorka. Tell us about Gorka, what's known, and what you discovered recently. So Gorka is really a, a fascinating character, even amongst the very fascinating cast of characters in the White House right now. Um, what makes him incredibly unique is that the U.S. government is actually the third sovereign state to hire him. So he used to work for the British military when he was young. He worked for the Hungarian government, and now he's a U.S. civil servant. That is um, incredibly unusual, and it's a part of a very unusual career that started in London. He was born uh, to a family of Hungarian uh, emigres who fled communism. After the wall fell, he and his parents moved back to Hungary, where he joined the defense ministry over there as a young man, probably doing translation work, though we're not uh, quite sure what he did there. He worked there for a few years when Hungary was working on uh, you know, getting prepared to join NATO. 
He then also advised uh, a Hungarian party, the now uh, ruling party of Prime Minister Orban, but then he kind of fell out with them and uh, started his own party together with uh, people who used to work for a far-right party called Jobbik that is considered pretty extreme here in Hungary. Um, and then, you know, he uh, he didn't do well in Hungarian politics and ended up moving to the States with his American wife and uh, reinventing himself as an American terror expert and ending up at the White House after a stint in places like Breitbart. So it's really an incredible career that, you know, spanned two continents, several governments. Um, he speaks Hungarian well, you know, when he goes on Hungarian TV as an expert, just as, you know, he sounds impressive in English and his British accent when he talks on Fox News. Yeah, that is um, that is striking about him when I've when I've seen him on television. Is he um, you mentioned Orban and I think it's worth delaying to tell us a little bit about the state of politics in Hungary right now. So now is a very interesting time in Hungary. Actually, yesterday, Hungary's parliament passed a law that uh, would make it impossible for a university called uh, the Central European University to operate its uh, Uh, It was founded by George Soros, a man who is not very popular um, in government circles here, and it's a part of a larger crackdown on independent institutions. So Prime Minister Orban began his career in the 90s as a liberal. Um, He actually went to Oxford on a Soros scholarship. But over the years, he became more and more right wing. He uh, realized that he would do better in Hungarian politics as a nationalist, that that resonates with a certain segment of the Hungarian public. And today, um, a lot of um, news organizations in the West actually refer to him formally as the far right prime minister of Hungary. Yeah, Hungary has been a touchstone for some of the commenters on on Trumpcast for the direction the U.S. might be heading if, you know, if the worst comes to the worst. So do you see a natural convergence of someone like Gorka, who had moved to the right in Hungary and, and maybe was also an opportunist, and the sort of right-moving White House that we have in the U.S.? There are some interesting parallels, um, especially on immigration and foreigners. Um, the Hungarian government is incredibly xenophobic and um, actively tries to make the public scared of outsiders. Um, that That is one way that they... Um, they try to rally the population around their cause. Um, the Hungarian um, government has also publicly declared that they are pursuing what's called, or what they call, um, an illiberal democracy. So a kind of democracy when elections take place, but you know, independent institutions aren't that important. So from the prime minister's perspective, what he likes to say is that it's about the nation. It's about the people. It's it's not really about individual rights. Um, he often speaks um, about the danger of non-governmental organizations, of NGOs, uh, the danger of uh, refugees. So yes, there are some parallels. Of course, uh, in the U.S., uh, the democratic institutions are a lot stronger. There is a strong judiciary, a strong civil society that acts as a check on government. So, you know, we, we can't quite compare the two countries. Hungary is a very young democracy. But before 19, I mean, before the fall of communism, Hungary had never really 
had a democratic system before. This is the first time. So there are differences, but it, it is interesting to see how the rhetoric that uh, has become such a part of a Hungarian political system is, is popping up in places like the U.S. now. In some ways, what we have here in the figure of Gorka is yet another far-right member of the administration, figure in the administration, like Steve Bannon, who recent today resigned from the National Security Council, we were told was taken off it, or Stephen Miller, or some of the others who, you know, or, or Flynn with, and, and, you know, those people who are connected to Breitbart and to a network of far-right thinking in the U.S. But you point out in this, in, in some of the work you've done for The Forward in particular, that Gorka's history is quite different from some of the homegrown white nationalists that we've discussed before. In particular, he was involved in these in fairly complex, but, you know, ultimately far right anti-Semitic politics. Um, that's right. Uh, so the first thing to point out is that there is no evidence that Gorka himself is anti-Semitic. However, he has associated and worked quite closely with figures that are incredibly racist and anti-Semitic. Um, so, for example, in 2007, when he founded his own political party, he founded that party with three other people. And uh, two of those individuals, as I mentioned before, um, had uh, previously been members, one of them actually a very senior member of the Yobik party. Yobik is a, a far-right a party with a long history of uh, open anti-Semitism. And it's, it's the kind of party that makes the Jewish community here in Hungary incredibly uncomfortable. But that's not the only connection um, that Gorka has to the far right. Um, we just published an article um, earlier this week about how in 2007, Gorka went on Hungarian television and affirmed um, that his party uh, supports the Hungarian Guard. Now, the, the Hungarian Guard was a paramilitary organization that was founded in Hungary in 2007. It was made up of people that were associated with the Obik party, as well as some other figures from the far right. They had these black uniforms. They would march in villages intimidating minorities, especially the Roma or the gypsy minority. Um, and they were actually later banned in 2009 as a physical threat to minorities. Um, the organization is not allowed in Hungary. So this black-vested Hungarian guard marches through towns, but they actually do commit what we'd call here hate crimes? Um, so some of their members have. Um, for example, in 2008-2009, there was a spate of murders of um, several Roma, including a five-year-old. And years later, uh, when a couple of people went to jail, um, for these murders, it turned out that two of those guys had been at initiation ceremonies for the Hungarian Guard. So the Hungarian Guard had not ordered the murders, but people associated with the Hungarian Guard had committed them. Um, so that shows the kind of ideology and the kind of mentality in those circles. Now, I'm not saying that Gorka had anything to do uh, with those murders, of course. His, um, his support for the Guard it, it came in 2007, a bit earlier when it was formed. But even at that time, 
several organizations were calling for the Guard to be banned, including the World Jewish Congress, just because its ideology and its rhetoric was so extreme that, um, you know, people who are experts in, in these matters believed that it would quickly turn into a, a threat to minority uh, communities. I should also point out that um, members of the Guard actually took a case to the European Court of Human Rights trying to get the, the Guard to be legal. Um, and what the court ruled, I think this was in uh, 2013, was that the Hungarian Guard was trying to promote a, quote, essentially racist hmm. legal order. Hmm. Um, and that's why a total ban is justified. So it, it went all the way up to the uh, European Court of Human Rights Okay, so this is this is um, amazing reporting, and also it, it is, I think, important to stay on top of the histories of nations that are, you know, where we have people in the administration who have come out of those those histories. So now Sebastian Gorka has been. He's now serving as Trump's chief counterterrorism advisor, very close advisor. We know that he supported this violent, racist, anti-Semitic, you called it a militia, a paramilitary group. But what in this qualifies him to consult on counterterrorism? I mean, you know, you'd almost expect someone with a keen eye for terrorists to have tried to imprison the Hungarian guard. That's right. And, and that's what makes uh, this story um, you know, it, even more strange. Um, you know, some commentators looking at uh, Gorka's 2007 interview where he talks about the Hungarian Guard have pointed out that it, it looks like he is uh, maneuvering politically. So at the time, he was competing with other right-wing groups. Um, he was competing against Orban's Fidesz party. He was competing against Jobbik. And, and he was trying to find a place on the political spectrum for himself. And he, he does point out in the interview that there could eventually be issues with the Hungarian Guard. But he, he still says that his party supports the initiative. Um, so, you know, it, it does look more like, um, you know, a, a political strategy than a wholehearted, you know, ideological belief in this organization. But all the same, it is strange coming from someone who would later present himself as an expert on terrorism. So it, whether it's actual hard and fast ideology or, or opportunism that, you know, brought him into that alliance, he definitely has said at times Bannon-like things about, I think he talked about the Hungarian soul a few times, and right in the video, and I think some interest that it was the young who had embraced uh, Hungarian nationalism or, you know, white nationalism over and against um, Jews and uh, gypsies. Is that the extent of what you know of his ideology or do, or do you still think this is just political maneuvering? So he doesn't specifically refer to white nationalism in this interview, right. um, but but he does have a strong affinity uh, for Hungarian nationalism. We see this when he wears the medal of the Vitezirend, uh, a very controversial um, nationalist Hungarian organization um, that was founded um, actually in the 1920s by um, uh, Horthy, who later was a Nazi ally. So he, he does have this affinity. And in, in the U.S., he does strongly ally himself with people like Steve Bannon. Uh, one thing we saw is that Gorka, again and again, presents Islam, uh, or as he calls it, radical Islam, um, as a kind of... Um, 
ideological enemy of the West. Um, so he portrays a lot of America's problems of terrorism as an ideological war. And this has, um, you know, brought a lot of criticism from, you know, academics and former policymakers who, you know, have written op-eds and, you know, dissected his PhD dissertation, you know, claiming that, you know, his expertise is not really up to snuff and that, um, you know, he he is very much ideological in, in how he approaches uh, terrorism. And, you know, we, we see this with people like Steve Bannon as well. So for many of us in America, the question is really what these people will will do not just for not for liberal values, like right, that ship has sailed, but just for the shared baseline values of peace and prosperity. My question with, with Gorka is, what is he going to do to keep America safe? What are his policies? Is he going to bankrupt us with ineffective methods like the Muslim ban? Or is he going to spend all the department's money preaching about, you know, the soul of Hungary and radical Islamic terrorism and leave the keys to the American internet in the car, you know, and do no police work to try to repel terrorists? I just, what is his strategy? I'm not sure if he has a strategy. Um, he's definitely a proponent of the Muslim ban. And you know, you'll see him all the time on Fox News and other outlets, um, you know, as, as almost a spokesperson for the administration. Uh, one interesting tidbit um, is that there have been questions raised over whether he even has a security clearance to, to access some of the materials he, he seems to be um, talking about. Uh, so, you know, he, he goes on TV and he presents himself as a representative of the administration on terror and security issues. But we don't even know if he can access, you know, the, the administration's um, threat assessments. Hmm. Um, as, as we mentioned, he has worked for several foreign governments in the past. He only became a U.S. citizen in 2012. So he's only lived here a few years. Um, and we don't know if he has clearance. Um, well, let's move to Bannon then, because that's the breaking news of the day. Another close advice, very close advisor to the president with um, ties to, you know, dubious far right politics and ideology. He's now off the National Security Council. What do you think happened there and, and what does it mean? Um, it seems that General McMaster for uh, a while now has really looked to weaken Bannon and to to kind of lessen his influence in national security. But we've also seen people like Jared Kushner just taking such a big role in uh, foreign policy. And it's it's very clear that there's a big struggle going on within the White House um, among a few factions. Um, and it seems like uh, people like Jared Kushner, even people like Nikki Haley, General McMaster, right now, you know, their star is rising and Mr. Bannon is is not doing too well. Uh, it, he is keeping a position in the White House. So he has, of course, not been completely sidelined and he has long been a Trump ally. But, you know, in this this grand struggle for for favor with with Trump, it, it seems like right now the, the others have an advantage. So do you think anything, any of these connections might sideline him, might make him an object of so much suspicion for his past connections with fascists and with this this group that he loses his authority? In, in any other White House, I would say that, um, you know, his job might be in danger. But this White House is, of course, quite unique. Yes. Um, what I will say is that there are 
um, you know, senators and various NGOs that have come forward and asked for at least an investigation um, of Gorka, especially because um, of his ties to the Vitezi Rand. Um, the State Department officially classifies the Vitezi Rand um, as having been under the control of Nazi Germany during World War II, and thus its members are technically inadmissible in mm-hmm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that means that when Gorka applied for citizenship in 2012, he he should have, um, you know, at, at least uh, put down on his application that he's a member. And then there should have been a review of whether or not, you know, that that impacts his uh, application and his status. Um, it's unclear whether he ever reported being a member. Um, he says that he never took an oath to the organization. We have members of the organization saying otherwise. But, you know, in, in general, I think that, um, you know, right now it looks like he's staying, but uh, it all depends in a way on on what happens to Bannon's faction within the White House and whether um, moderate Republicans start looking into Gorka's record um, more intensely and asking more questions. So thank you very, very much. Do you think our our president might be someday referred to like uh, as the Hungarian president as just openly a far right president? Well, I, I certainly hope not. Um, but I, I do trust that U.S. institutions are, are strong enough that, um, you know, they will weather the storm. Thank you very, very much for being here, Lily. Thank you for inviting me. And that's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate's podcasts. Andy Bowers is Panoply's chief content officer. And one more thing before we go. Trumpcast has a live show coming up in New York on April 30th at the Tribeca Film Festival at the SVA Theater in Manhattan. If you want to see Jacob, Jamel, and me and some special guests, you can go to slate.com slash live for tickets. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Trumpcast.